Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as, of course, insight and analysis into all the subjects you're talking about in football. I mean, McGowan with me is always as transfer guru Duncan Castles. I don't know about you, Duncan, but it's hottest day of the year. So I'm going to give you some information you really don't need to know, and that is that I am broadcasting without wearing a top. So for all you people out there who think that's particularly offensive, then I apologise. However, we do have some hot news of the press for you, as always. We've got an updates and news on Arsenal, Manchester City, Chelsea, Sheffield United, amongst many others. We're going to start, however, with a story we have been on top of, of course, from the beginning, and that is the potential transfer of the Brazilian centre-back Gabriel to the Premier League, which, of course, would or may kickstart a merry-go-round because Napoli are interested in signing the player in order to replace uh, Caldo Koulibaly, who, of course, is a major target for Manchester City. But, Duncan, you have news on Gabriel and another English club who, so far, have not been in the frame. Yeah, well, thanks for that information on your um, your dress uh, today. I'll just say You're to the, welcome. People, the people who've been, uh, been watching... Um, listening to our new YouTube channel and been asking for video to go alongside the audio. Um, just think about what you're letting yourself they're in They're being grateful. They're now, they're now grateful there's no video. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Gabrielle, um, lots and lots of interest from our listeners and Gabrielle, lots of questions about him. I think he is the kind of uh, footballer, age profile, um, just 22, uh, performing at a top level in the French league. There, there's that potential, that aura about him where uh, supporters want to know that their club might be able to sign him. The price isn't ridiculous. Lille are talking around the 30 million euro mark for him. The best offer they've had so far, I'm told, is 27 million euros. You're right, Napoli have been in this race for a long time. Um, central to their pursuit of Gabriel is to bring him in as a replacement for Kaladu Koulibaly, who we told you some time ago in the podcast, Napoli plan to sell this summer. They told the manager, Gennaro Gattuso, that uh, he will be leaving this summer and a replacement will be coming in. Koulibaly has told friends that he expects to leave and that he thinks his most likely destination is Manchester City, who of course are in the market for an elite centre-back, have a lot of potential targets, including um, uh, Jose Jimenez at Atletico, Ruben Gias at um, Benfica, Diego Torres, also in the Spanish league, um, have already signed Nathan Aki as a second kind of backup to um, America Laporte as a left-sided centre-back and someone who can play in left-back, but have got even more money to spend on a first choice to play alongside Laporte. Um, Napoli do not want to complete or try and complete the Gabriel deal until they've got Koulibaly out the door. 
Um, further complicating that is they're still in the Champions League. They're about to play Barcelona um, in the second leg of their COVID suspended um, round of 16 tie. Uh, they're level in that game, so they have the opportunity of going into the last eight tournament in Lisbon this month. And um, obviously, we'd like to keep Koulibaly through that period. And uh, you know, the information I'm getting from Lille is they do not expect Napoli to complete before their Champions League destiny is determined. Um, they say they have now got uh, interest also from Manchester United, something we told you several weeks ago, Manchester United asking to be kept informed of the situation. Do not agree a fee with another club, please, and be without telling us and giving us the opportunity to match or better. Um, we know that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer wants a left-footed centre-back to add to his defence to make up for the deficiencies of Harry Maguire, to give him a, another player who's good at bringing the ball out of defence and, and starting play um, from the defensive areas. And that's something Gabriel has excelled at in France um, and would be a good fit. Um, to those parameters for Manchester United. Leo say they have also now had contact from Arsenal and discussions about how much it would cost uh, to get Gabriel uh, to come to the Premier League where, where Arsenal to decide to go and spend what would be very significant money for, for their budget on um, a centre-back. But Arsenal, remember, were in a similar position last year with Leo. Um, and a, a similar kind of uh, transfer scenario where Nicola Pepe was being pursued by a lot of the top clubs in Europe and Arsenal were the ones who came in at the end and, uh, and paid the 80 million that Leo were um, asking for and secured the player. Um, they structured the deal with payments over a number of years so that the, the initial cost wasn't as high as the, as the 80 million would suggest. But they do have a, a history of dealing with Leo in this kind of situation. The other major contender are Everton. Again, a story we broke in the transfer podcast pre-COVID that Everton had a strong interest in Gabriel, had provisionally agreed a, a transfer fee with Leo. Um, I'm told they have, um, uh, pre the COVID period, had a, did a medical with Gabriel and the expectation that um, they might be able to complete that transfer. Everything was put on hold um, during COVID, but the information I have now is that Carlo Ancelotti is pushing extremely hard at Everton to get them to try and complete Gabriel and get uh, the player to come there ahead of, you know, what are very high level alternative suitors for the player. In terms of what the player wants to do, um, the guidance I have is he's very keen to play in the Premier League. He's keen to play Champions League again, obviously play Champions League this season with Lille. Um, Lille didn't qualify there in the Europa League um, because they, they didn't quite manage to get back into the Champions League places before the French season was shut down. Um, but no particular preference either way is the guidance I have and um, it may well come down to whichever club offers him the best financial terms and can satisfy Leo um, by getting to that €30 million Euro mark for the transfer fee. So who would you say, Duncan, in your opinion, are in the driving seat with regards to this transfer? Because with so much interest, it seems to me that, yeah, OK, the player may well go where the money is, 
But there's also the question about the fee to Lille. And if Lille have so many different notes of interest from different clubs, then clearly a auction scenario is not out of the question with regards to who they sell to. Um, it seems to me as well that Arsenal might be the weakest of the current suitors. I think the individuals in the driving seat are Gabriel primarily because he should get a move to a top club and he should get a very significant pay rise. And um, to a certain extent, he is going to be able to make the de decision here. And, and I think Lille are in a strong position too, because remember, they, while they needed revenue going into this window, um, because the, the COVID shutdown of French football had hit them very hard, they've already sold Victor Asimhen to Napoli for 80 million euros, um, 10 million of that performance related. So they have got big revenue in already this summer, the biggest deal, I think, that's been agreed with any club um, so far in this, this summer transfer window. They've got a lot of other players that they expect to be able to cash in on in this market. Um, and I think they're now, the, the sense I get is they're quite relaxed about this. They're, they're confident they will get their money. Um, they're not particularly bothered which club they sell them to as long as they get their money and they're prepared to take their time uh, and let the process run through um, to see where the decision comes from, where the, where the best offer comes from. I think they're also conscious that Manchester United are also still playing European football and might not hurry the process because of that. Obviously, Manchester United have got a lot of focus on Jadon Sancho at the moment. We've looked at the way Manchester United have dealt with transfers in the past and they, they've not been great at doing things simultaneously. Um, they tend, I think it's fair to say, to focus on one deal, complete deal, then move on to another deal. Certainly, the, the commentary you get from talking to uh, people at other clubs have dealt with them and agents who, who deal with them is that they are a kind of very bureaucratic, um, very slow in their decision making. They, there's a, a sense that anything that the, the, the front men of the club, um, so Ed Woodward and Matt Judge, um, who are, they're not even signing off on these decisions and ultimately, but because it all has to go eventually through the Glazers so they can, you can have a meeting with them, you can talk to them, you can think you've a, a agreed a position on, on cost or salary if you're, if you're handling a player and then that has to be relayed back to the Glazers for approval before things go through. And, you know, you can go back to David De Gea. Um, several years ago, David De Gea was sold to Real Madrid. Um, the agreement was made, uh, but United took so long over the paperwork and took so long that the particular sticking point was over getting a replacement and they were taking Kaylor Navas from Madrid. So it should have been straightforward as part of that deal, but they hadn't done the basic groundwork with Navas to persuade him to come to Manchester United and sort out his salary. And eventually they ran out of time um, and, and both of those deals fell through. So it's, this is kind of a, it's a long-standing problem at, at United. Um, and I think it's something that will factor in and, and probably a reason why Solskjaer, we know, is putting pressure on Woodward to try and accelerate transfers uh, this summer because he's probably aware of the of the problems he's faced in the past. And um, 
and United's previous managers have faced before. Indeed, and another hold-up, uh, as you have just detailed, Duncan, is in the Jadon Sancho deal. We reported on Tuesday, of course, that United had agreed in principle, very important to say in principle, to meet a €110 million Euro fee, which Borussia Dortmund had requested. Many reports uh, since then have uh, said there's €120 million. Euros. That's not our information. That The €110 million Euros is indeed a fee that Borussia Dortmund would be prepared to accept. However, United's payment structure plan of paying €80 million up front plus €30 million in add-ons, which would be dependent on achievable uh, uh, achievements by Sancho with regards to appearances, etc., in the normal way that transfers are done these days, was the way that United wanted to pay. Uh, Dortmund have asked for £90 million up front and 20 in add-ons. Now, at the moment, there's an impasse between the two clubs regarding that particular structure. What we understand is that neither club at this moment in time is willing to change their mind with regards to how that structure uh, should be worked out or indeed how it can be, uh, a solution can be found for it. But that Manchester United are comfortable at this moment in time that they are not in any competition for the situation of Jadon Sancho. They don't believe they're going to be gazumped by another club because uh, no other club has expressed the same level of interest. They also are very confident the player wants to come to Old Trafford. He has been in constant touch with England international colleagues who currently play for Manchester United and indeed in daily contact with them. It's even believed that he's on a WhatsApp group with some of the Manchester United players as well. Therefore, United are very comfortable with their position. They believe that uh, Dortmund will come round to the structure they've suggested. But as we've seen in the past, Duncan, and you know this is better as, mu as much as anyone else, um, United have shown in the past that with the transfers of Harry Maguire, Arwan Basaka, Bruno Fernandes, if a club tends to hold out in terms of the selling of a player to them, they have a habit of caving in or at least compromising beyond the position which they initially set out as their final uh, terms. They do. Um, I, I do think they're in a good position with Jadon Sancho. I think they're right in in their analysis that there isn't a competitor in this window. In fact, we've been talking about that for, for months now, that nobody of the clubs who you would have thought would have competed for Sancho's signature in a normal market, nobody is prepared to pay that kind of money this summer. And that's allowed United to agree personal terms with the player, convince them it's the right place to go to and, and have this kind of one-on-one -on -one negotiating process with Dortmund. Um, so you can see why they're thinking well we're not going um we're not going to move on on the the 80 plus 30 that we we thought we had agreed in principle with Dortmund when they're asking for another 10 million um because it's not a huge difference and maybe in this occasion Dortmund will 
a seed to it. But also, if you're Dortmund, you will look at the history of Manchester United and, and these kind of negotiations. And, and you'll know that it's not that long since they were briefing that they didn't want to go over £50 million pounds um, for any player in this transfer market. Okay, that was before they secured Champions League qualification, a lot of extra revenue, but that was the brief. And that has certainly fallen by the wayside in that they are they're now at a guaranteed €80 million Euros for Sancho. But Bruno Fernandes, we had to go back to our podcast from January and, and I think almost every every episode for the month, we had Manchester United stance that they would not improve their offer to Sporting, they would not pay the money Sporting were asking for and we detailed why Sporting wanted more, how much more they wanted and in the end Manchester United acceded to the vast majority of Sporting's demands. Harry Maguire, similar story, um, £85 million paid in the end. Aaron Wan-Bissaka, £55 million. Um, in the end. Uh, essentially paying what Crystal Palace wanted. You can go all the way back to one of Ed Woodward's first transfers as Manchester United um, senior executive in Juan Mata, where um, Chelsea wanted to sell Juan Mata because Jose Mourinho wanted him um, switched for other attacking midfielders at the time. They set uh, an asking price for the player. I I remember reporting on that asking price at the time. Then several weeks uh, later, Mata moves to Manchester United for exactly the price that Chelsea had, had set as their asking price. And, and uh, Edward would then briefs a number of national newspapers about what a wonderful, fantastic job he'd done in the negotiating process and, and his great success in uh, securing the player um, from Chelsea at, uh, at, at uh, a reasonable price. Um, you can look in retrospect whether it was a reasonable price or not. You can judge that on Mattis' career at Manchester United, which has been good. But I don't think as exceptional as Manchester United were expecting it to be when they paid him, and certainly not in terms of the way Woodward was describing that deal at the time. Um, and you can certainly say that they paid what Chelsea were asking for them. So they they haven't done well in negotiations down the years. Um it's maybe a harsh one to lay on them, given the, the battle there was for Alexis Sanchez's signature at the time. And Manchester City were prepared to pay a huge amount of money to secure Alexis Sanchez. Manchester United put more money down um, in the end to get him. But that negotiation obviously doesn't look good in a week in which they've uh, allowed Sanchez to leave with two years left in his contract for Inter for no transfer fee and paid him compensation to go, as we discussed um, in one of our earlier podcasts, would be the um, ultimate um, outcome of that transfer negotiation. Just £9 million uh, Alexis Sanchez received as a golden payoff um, from Manchester United for the remainder of his contract for signing his new deal with Inter Milan. Uh, not exactly unusual in football, it has to be said. Um, when a player doesn't ask for a transfer, then there is notably compensation to be paid on the contract. However, uh, I'm sure a lot of Manchester United fans will be just a little bit annoyed with what they've got in return for their money with regards to that. I'm sure what they won't be annoyed about is the prospect of Dean Henderson returning to the club from Sheffield United, where he's been unknown for the past two seasons. Uh, significant development this uh, 
last couple of days in that uh, Sheffield United have had a bid rejected for Aaron Ramsdale, who was uh, Bournemouth's Player of the Year, a bid we believe to be around £12.5 million plus add-ons. And of course, that signals that uh, Chris Wilder, the Sheffield United manager, does not believe uh, that Dean Henderson will be returning on loan to uh, Bramall Lane next season. Certainly, uh, that's what we've reported in the Transfer Window podcast, as you all know. Um, we've received information just this morning that uh, Henderson's agent is in talks currently with Manchester United with regards to an upgraded contract for Henderson, um, who currently is on around £12,000 per week. Not very much, really, when you consider Manchester United's other top earners, but uh, I'm told that a new contract would be worth upwards of £3 million a year, which would be £60,000 per week. Now, Henderson himself uh, wants to play first-team football, does not want to come back to Old Trafford as number two to the errant David De Gea. However, Solskjaer is at this moment in time unwilling to guarantee Henderson that he will be first choice. It's now up to Henderson whether he decides to sign an upgraded contract with United and then take his chances. Although uh, it is being discussed in terms of the negotiations that Henderson would be open to returning to United starting as number one in pre-season and if it's deemed he's not good enough or his performances are not good enough then he would be happy to fight it out with De Gea for the number one spot. Um, this entire situation is complicated by Manchester United's interest in Peter Schmeichel's son Casper Leicester City who Solskjaer sees as a ready-made number one for United and he could easily decide to allow Henderson to go back out on loan, bring Schmeichel in as a very credible uh, competitor to De Gea as number one for the jersey at United. But with Henderson, it would be obviously a much cheaper um, and in Henderson's case, obviously, a younger case of bringing in a player who has proven himself, certainly over the last season, the Premier League at Sheffield United. Duncan, this is a difficult and complicated situation for Solskjaer. Um, can you see him allowing the situation to effectively, organically take shape by bringing Henderson back and saying, right, it's between you and De Gea. Just fight it out and show me who's best. Yeah, we've, we've talked about this quite a lot over the last few months. And, and I think it looks like Manchester United are getting themselves into good position here because originally Henderson's stance was he wanted to come back as first choice goalkeeper and, and was using the leverage of that new contract um, to, to try and get himself in a position where he would be told he would be first choice goalkeeper. So not going to sign a new contract um, and tie down his long-term future unless he had that that guarantee. But if they've now got it to a place where he's he's happy to say, bring me back and put me in the goals, and if I don't prove myself, 
um, then fine, I'll I'll step back and and uh, and continue to fight for the position. But without that guarantee that he will be number one for the whole season, which is what what he'd been looking for at an earlier stage, I think this is better suited to Solskjaer uh, and more potentially more productive because then you can have both players there. You give Henderson what he wants in that offer to to start the season in goals, and let him prove he's good enough to be the number one in goals. You get him on the new contract, so you secure the, the long-term future of the player. Um, and then you see how De Gea responds to the challenge and you hope that um, he responds well to the challenge and you get the best out of both of them. And you get then you get the kind of scenario that um, Chelsea had a, a few years ago when they had Thibaut Courtois and Petr Cech um, in the squad at the same time and trying their hardest to hold that shirt down. Um, and And therefore having two top goalkeepers there. So I think from Solskjaer's point of view, this is very positive. Um, I think with De Gea, uh, the, the response is going to be interesting and in, in how he, he deals with that situation. There are people um, who believe that his decline has coincided with his former goalkeeping coach, Emilio Alvarez, leaving the club last uh, summer. Um, a decision that Alvarez talked about recently to the Spanish press and said that it was his own decision, that he was not dismissed by Manchester United. He was not replaced as goalkeeping coach, as, as had been the reporting around the time, um, so that Solskjaer could bring his own man in. But actually that he went to Woodward and said he didn't want to continue working with De Gea. Why is that interesting? Because Alvarez had, had coached De Gea from a very young age in Spain. He, he'd actually been brought to Manchester United by Jose Mourinho um, on De Gea's request um, as essentially a condition from De Gea to remain at Manchester United at that point. Real Madrid were trying to sign De Gea at that time and Mourinho had to do a lot of work pers persuading him to remain with the club. And one of the, the things he did to help persuade him was to bring Alvarez um, to United to work with him, which shows you the, the strength of the relationship where it had been, that fractured um, over De Gea's uh, new contract at Manchester United. Um, I, my understanding is that Alvarez was involved uh, to a certain extent in the negotiation process and was unhappy with the way uh, things resolved themselves and, and then ultimately decided that he didn't want to work with De Gea anymore. Um, and well, it may be coincidence. It may actually uh, be one of the explanatory factors in, in De Gea's drop in form, but certainly De Gea has not been the goalkeeper this season for Manchester United that he had been in previous seasons where, you know, for the majority of time at Manchester United in recent years, he was being named not just the best player at the club, but the best goalkeeper in the Premier League. And a further twist, Duncan, as if we needed one, We've got a corkscrew of twists in terms of this particular story with regards to Manchester City goalkeepers. Is that Chelsea have also expressed an interest in Casper Schmeichel? Obviously, Frank Lampard is concerned. Uh, well, I think he's consistently concerned about the form of Kepa Arepalaga. And although there is um, very little interest, in buying the player from other clubs and therefore it seems likely he'll have to stay. 
at the same time, Lampard is acutely aware that his team have conceded more goals than any other in the top 10 uh, in this last season. And he would like very much to give himself an option, at least, if not a new number one with regards to the season starting on September the 12th. Obviously, Chelsea face Bayern Munich in the Champions League, uh, which they are down 3-0 and have very little uh, chance of, of progressing. However, Kasper Schmeichel, again, would be a ready-made replacement for Kepa. Uh, at the moment, uh, there doesn't seem to be many other alternatives, although they have been linked with Nick Pope at Burnley as well. I mean, Schmeichel, to me, seems to be a very dependable option, Duncan, with regards to, if you look at both De Gea and Kepa, their physical um, stature is relatively uh, small compared to many goalkeepers. Uh, yes, De Gea is a very good shot stopper from close range, but Schmeichel has all the attributes of his father in terms of being a good shot stopper. He commands the box, he commands his defence, he's good at set pieces as well. The kind of thing you have to say that players, ex-players I should say, like Solskjaer and Lampard were used to when they were playing with goalkeepers. So you can see the um, attraction of someone like Schmeichel for both of them. Yeah, I think with Kasper Schmeichel, you've got a guaranteed proven product. You know what he's like as a Premier League goalkeeper. You know he's a top performer in the Premier League. You definitely know he has that physicality that Chelsea have certainly lacked with Kepa. Uh, and no hesitation about going and taking aerial balls, which is the big criticism of David De Gea, is that he doesn't like to do that. He, he prefers to stay on his line and make saves that are exceptional and that other goalkeepers um, can't produce. But you, you know, that puts an extra pressure on the defence to have a goalkeeper who won't come off his line. And, and I, I know that was something that that Mourinho was conscious of uh, as um, as a drawback to his defence when he had De Gea for all his qualities as a shot stopper. Schmeichel, you resolve that. He's 33, but as a goalkeeper, you could see him playing for another five years in the Premier League um, if he keeps himself in good condition and avoids a serious injury. Contracted to Leicester until 2023, he's kind of perceived as being the embodiment of Leicester. He's sort of the, the spokesman for the dressing room um, often on television, often talking to the media. And I think there's there's been a perception that he's kind of wedded to the club and, and would be there indefinitely. My understanding is that's not the case. And, and he would see himself, if the right club made an offer for him, um, being interested in, in moving elsewhere if Leicester were happy with the transfer fee that was offered for him. Um, obviously with Chelsea, you get Champions League football, which he's just missed out on with Leicester City. Same with Manchester United. And with Manchester United, you have that additional element of uh, a desire to play for the club, an ambition to play for the club that dates back to childhood and supporting the team. So there is a there's an emotional bond there that he would... I think one of his friends spoke in the press this week and said that it's always been his dream to, to play there and he would do anything to go and play even 10 games um, for Manchester United. Um, would he be a better option than Dean Henderson? Um, 
I think you, you get some, someone more predictable there. We, we've said all along with Dean Henderson, there's a lot of talent. Uh, there's a reason why people are identifying him as a future England goalkeeper. But we've also seen with young goalkeepers and young English goalkeepers in particular, when they take that step up to the, the high exposure of playing for a top English side or playing for the national team, they can change as goalkeepers. You look at Joe Hart, where his career has gone. Um, you look at the way Everton um, goalkeeper has brought himself up to uh, being England number one and now is probably one of the least reliable goalkeepers in the Premier League this season. Um, it, there, there is a, there's a psychological element involved in playing for a top club as number one that will be a risk for Manchester United if they decide to promote Dean Henderson. And you know, my information is that that is a concern within the camp. They, they are wary that for all his self-confidence, for all his belief that he is good enough to be um, the starter at Manchester United, um, how will he actually respond if he gets put in that position? And, and remember, if Manchester United decide to do this, they decide to uh, accept his his challenge to allow him to become number one. They're not just putting him in for any goalkeeper. They're putting him in for the goalkeeper who is on the, the best paid contract in the Premier League. Um, they're putting him for a goalkeeper who's been voted the top goalkeeper in the Premier League for a number of seasons. Um, so it, it's a high hurdle to have to clear. And, and when you make mistakes, uh, people will probably forget about David Deja's uh, last dubious season and start asking uh, did Solskjaer and did Manchester United make a mistake in over promoting this young keeper too early? It's a very good point Duncan um, the scrutiny that comes with being Manchester United's number one rather than Sheffield United's number one is uh, far greater and uh, David De Gea probably knows that better than most We're going to take a little trip at Duncan now because uh, I know that as well as uh, examining and admiring uh, lots of different leagues around the world, you're a big fan of the championship as well. And therefore very much in the know about Ollie Watkins, Brentford striker, who has become the most sought after striker in the Premier League, despite the fact he is currently still in the championship after Brentford failed to beat Fulham in the championship playoff final. There is interest uh, from Brighton, from Burnley, Sheffield United, Southampton and Palace for a player who scored 28 goals in the last season. Um, I've watched him a few times, Duncan. He seems to have most things that you would want from a striker. He is good one-on-one, -on -one, he's good in the air, he's strong and physical, uh, exerts himself against opponents at set pieces, uh, can score with his head. And remember, Brentford have a, a very good record of selling players and they pick up for much smaller fees. Um, then um, they effectively give them the platform to show what they're worth and uh, and then sell on. Now, last year, Neil Mopé signed for Brighton for £16.5 uh, million. Pounds. Watkins, I'm told, uh, is being valued at around £25 million, pounds, potentially, with add-ons. Um, 
I won't ask you for your assessment of the player because I think we all know what he can do. But are you quite impressed by the Brentford uh, model? It seems to me like they kind of mimic a little bit of like how Lille do their business. Yeah, very data-driven. They're very focused on um, identifying players at the right age that they can increase in value and sell on at profit. Watkins is interesting because they bought him out of League Two um, in 2017 uh, from Exeter City. He scored 15 goals in League Two in 48 matches, so not, not a fantastic return at that level. Um, the first two seasons in the Championship, he's scoring 10 goals from 40-plus uh, games in each of those. And this last season, he has 25 and 46. Um, you can see from the clubs that are interested in him that he has been identified as young, having that that skill set where he would fit in and you'd expect him to, to step up in the Premier League. Um, I wonder... If there is an element of risk involved in that he's been surrounded by other players who've been scouted well and perform well. I think if I, w- if I was looking at this transfer, I'd be worried that you were getting an anomalous season because he scored more than two and a half times um, his previous return in the, in, the, in the preceding seasons at Brentford. Um, do, are you catching him at the, at the peak or are you catching someone who will develop further and really establish themselves as a Premier League footballer um, once that transfer is made? So you're suggesting that the player, the clubs I mentioned should actually be focusing on Leo Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> <laughs> you have consistently good records for the last 15 years. Well, Messi is uh, available if he wants to leave Barcelona to, to go to any club for a free transfer, so better value than Watkins. Indeed. Well, I shall call Chris Wilder and let him know. <laughs> uh, Messi at Bramall Lane, that's something to look forward to. Messi, of course, has been an outstanding performer over many, many years, as has Cristiano Ronaldo. who And Ronaldo, of course, is in action this evening. That is Friday. Uh, for Juventus against Lyon in the Champions League. However, we're going to round off today's Transfer Window podcast with a slightly different twist on certain superstar players because we're going to do the Donkey Award and we've decided to honour Steve McQueen, one of our favourite actors and, of course, star of The Hustle and we're going to do our Steve McQueen Hustler Award uh, for players who have been extravagantly rewarded for not very much in return. Uh, Duncan, I'm going to just tear open the golden envelope and give you the nominations from which you can choose. Uh, there we are. Now, obviously, there were quite a few um, options on this one, Dunk. Um, you know, football is littered with the uh, golden footprints and boots of players who <laughs> perhaps picked up a lot of money but never quite repaid it in terms of their performances. However, uh, one very relevant one is the great Alexis Sanchez, who, of course, left Manchester United this week on a permanent transfer to Internazionale um, and received £9 million just to leave. And reportedly cost United uh, ridiculous amounts of money per goal, per assist, per minute he played. I'm not going to go into those. 
Uh, but however, Alexis will be our first nomination. The second will be the much maligned Mesut Ozil, who can't even make it into the Arsenal squad at this moment in time, despite the fact he was awarded a £350,000 per week contract and uh, has yet to really justify that extension, much to the annoyance and frustration of the Gunnar's faithful. And thirdly, our old friend Gareth Bale, currently earning €550,000 per week, and whom Zinedine Zidane said uh, on Thursday of this week, ahead of Real Madrid's uh, Champions League match with Manchester City, that he, and I quote, preferred not to play. Now, I'm assuming, Duncan, that Bale was not referring to a game of golf um, because there's some nice golf courses around Manchester, so I'm sure maybe he preferred not to play in the game because he might have had a nice uh, game set up uh, around uh, the Manchester or Cheshire area, um, which, of course, would probably provide him with much more satisfaction and entertainment, um, as you well know. He was probably working on, on a new way of wearing his mask on the bench and running out of uh, options that could get photographers uh, on, onto the back pages of the Spanish papers and um, wind, wind people up. <laughs> wind Madrid supporters up and, and Zidane up. Um, Ozo, I, I have some sympathy for because he, his performances when he has been in the Arsenal team in terms of numbers before he got left out for long periods of season, were pretty good. Um, you know, he, he he's a player that's always divided uh, opinion, and that it, it, stylistically, he quite often looks like he's not trying particularly hard on the pitch, but he does create, um, and he he can can be very important to a team. And I think he's also been let down in, in ways off the field um, with his protest over the Uyghurs. Um, no support, in fact. Um, you could say quite the opposite from from the club and from the Premier League in terms of the response that came from China um, over Mesut Ozil's uh, protest over the human rights um, abuses in in China there. Um, Alexis Sanchez, I think, (laughs) talking about Ollie Watkins and the possibility that a club might buy him off um, peak numbers, I think, that's exactly what happened to Alexis Sanchez. He was bought. There was a there was a fight over his services from his peak numbers as a Premier League player, um, and and in his case, uh, burnt out. Um, that came back to hit him when he went to Manchester United. He didn't settle. He's a he's a by all accounts quite a strange character, and he didn't like it in Manchester, um, and uh, and was difficult for his colleagues to work with, but. Um, I think physically they, they, they got him in a, in a bad shape and um, and the, the pressure of, of those high numbers you talk about obviously had an effect there. I think Gareth Bale is the, the clear winner of this one um, because he has been sitting in Madrid and made it quite clear to many suitors um, and many attempts from Madrid uh, to move him on elsewhere that he is quite happy to carry on sitting in Madrid, not playing football, um, causing problems for the manager and uh, playing as much golf as he can. In fact, it's, it's said that his nickname amongst the Madrid players is the golfer, um, which is, you know, tells you 
that he deserves this uh, Steve McQueen hustling award for his uh, lack of performances in, in many of his uh, years at Real Madrid. Gareth Bale, you will be receiving this week's golden statuette of Duncan Castles for uh, your performances and in this case non-performances at Real Madrid and uh, we'll also include a copy of the classic prefab sprout album Steve McQueen as well uh, because we feel that is appropriate in this particular instance Um, and for all of you who have not uh, discovered Steve McQueen by prefab sprout then please and find it on your streaming services. Just one thing, Duncan. I remember interviewing um, not the most talented player in the world, uh, but certainly an effective one and who had a very good career, called David Batty of Leeds United. And someone had told me that he didn't particularly like football. And I thought this was the weirdest thing I'd ever heard because how can you be a professional at that level? He'd won the league the old first division uh, with Leeds United, um, et cetera, et cetera, and not like football. And he said to me, "Um, do you like your job? And I was like, well, yeah, I do like my job. What's that got to do with it? He said, well, I like Speedway. (laughs) And I thought to myself, so I, I had to say to him, I said, so you prefer Speedway to football? He said, absolutely. Give me Speedway every day. I'd rather watch Speedway than watch football. Football's just a job to me. It's what I do during the day or on weekends, but I don't particularly like it. Do you think that's the case with Gareth Bale? No, they like Speedway, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't think it's Speedway is the love of Gareth Bale's life. He clearly um, loves playing golf and spends a lot of time doing it and focused on it. Um, look. It's not unusual to come across footballers that don't enjoy playing football. Um, they are professionals. Um, you do hear of guys who say it, the training part's fine, but being on the pitch and matches is a nightmare because of the level of expectation and the, and the scrutiny on you as a performer. Um, so, yeah, it's... Uh, I think they do come across individuals who treat it as a job. And in these days where it is an exceptionally highly paid job, then um, it would be tough if you have those skills and you have the ability to earn that kind of contract to decide, well, actually, I'm not going to be a footballer and I'm going to uh, go and be a Speedway star instead um, because you'd be turning your back on, on, on a very lucrative career so you probably end up with more footballers who aren't that keen or aren't as keen as you would expect on the sport in the game these days than you did say 20 30 40 years ago true and i suppose there are some um other professions where you could look at that you know for instance there are some bankers who are in the same amount as footballers but at least they've got some rhyming slang to you know name them by Anyway, we'll conclude today's Transfer Window podcast with that thought. Please, if you want to contribute to the debate and give us other acronyms for um, jobs where people might not like what they do, but indeed uh, get away with it, then um, please send them to us as well. Uh, You can find us on all of our social media platforms. 
at Transfer Podcast on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. We want to say a big thank you to all of you um, who have uh, subscribed to the YouTube channel. Please just search at Transfer Window Podcast. It comes up very quickly. You'll be surprised. Uh, please keep doing that. And then if that's your preferred method of accessing uh, this wonderful, wonderful podcast, then please do that as well. Um, I think some of you will see in our tweet this week uh, that we have over 2.5 million listens. Uh, also, our followers on Twitter. And we just want to say thanks to all of you who have contributed, who have engaged, and who have got involved with the podcast over those 300, and this is 301, 300 editions of the Transfer Window podcast. It has been an absolute pleasure and a blast for that matter. Always, you can get in touch with Duncan on at Duncan Castles and me at Garbo SJ. If you want, and we know that you love the podcast, otherwise you wouldn't be listening. Please return the favour. Go on to iTunes, just log on and give us a five-star review. And those 2.5 million listens, those 300 editions of this podcast, which remember, we give you for free. There is no charge for this amazing entertainment brand that you get. Um, please do that. And then things will just keep getting better and better, which they are. Um, of course, we've got until October the 5th in this particular window, but we extend way beyond that, as you well know. So it just leaves it for me from this particular day, from Duncan and I, to say, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.